0: Hey, this is Steve Campbell from the C3 Church. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. Our prayer for you is that you'll be blessed, equipped, and enabled as you listen to this message. God bless you. Good morning, church. It is good to be with you this morning. Hey, just a moment. I'm going to do something different, and then I'm going to introduce my message. Hey, um, Jordan, would you come up onto stage a moment? Um, and Sigourney, where have you gone? Come, come back and stand with Jordan. I just wanted to encourage you guys. I felt in the worship, I just had an encouragement for God over your lives. We only met a couple of weeks ago when you were over in Bury, but I just want to encourage you. God has placed leadership over your lives. You are anointed. You carried a gift of faith. And together, you're going to lead and you're going to drive the kingdom of God forward. And I just want to encourage you to lay hold of that word. And you might need to pray into that, think about it, talk with your location pastors about what that looks like. But there is something of a gifting of God upon your lives to push back the darkness and to bring the kingdom of God and his light. So Lord, I not you stretch out your hands if you are willing to do so. Lord, I just pray over Sigourney and Jordan, Lord, pray your anointing touch, your power, Lord. I thank you for the faith that's inside of them. And I thank you that you've equipped them to spread your good news in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys. Well, hello. For those of you who don't know me, my name is John. And as Katie said, it's my privilege to be able to bring the word of God to you today. I have the joy of serving on the staff team here as multi site pastor. And it really is a joy and a privilege to share God's Word with you today. I wonder if you could help me. We're going to welcome all of our locations that are joining with us right now. So give a great big shout out to C3 Colchester, C3 Bury St. Edmunds, my home people, C3 Church Online, wherever you are. Everyone joining us in a prison this morning, watching through Way Out TV, 78 prisons, hey wherever you are. We are so pleased that you joined us and it's a privilege to be in the room here with you in Cambridge too. I'm going to be continuing our One Peter series. We've been looking at the now and the not yet. We've been looking about what does it look like for us to live in the middle. In the middle of Christ's death, resurrection and ascension and his one day return. How are we called to live? And today we're going to conclude chapter 3. So I want you to stand, if you're able, in every location. We're going to honor the reading of God's Word. We're going to read in 1 Peter 3, and we're going to start reading in verse 8. Hey, who came ready to receive from God today? Who came to hear what God wants to share through His Word? Let's go. 1 Peter chapter 3, and verse 8, it says this. Finally, all of you, be like-minded. Peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always, everybody say always. Always be prepared to give an answer. To everybody who asks you to give a, the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for your word. And I pray that you would speak right now into each and every heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Here, you can take your seats wherever you are. From this text today, I want to talk to us and I want to show us five ways that we can live for Christ in a broken world. First of all, let me tell you a little bit of an awkward story about me. On the screen behind me, you can see a picture of me, and I am wearing pretty scruffy shorts, a rough T-shirt, and you might think, all right, John, that's okay. Maybe it was sound check. I was in the Bury St. Edmunds location. Maybe it was back, you remember when it was really hot in the summer? Maybe it was when it was really hot, so it's okay for you to look like that. But the truth is, I am really, really cold. This is last October, and what has happened is I've gone into church, I've set up as normal, and I've gone to the back of my car, opened the door, and realized the bag of clothes that I had got ready to get changed into is not there. So I have got to just go with it. I've got to go with what I have got on. And I get up onto stage and it's so interesting because it's such a contrast from the the congregations sat in front of me. They're like well-togged out, you know, right? They've got their jackets on, they've got their coats, they've got their boots, they're feeling warm and looking good. And I'm there in my rough t-shirt and my shorts feeling freezing cold. It was just a real contrast. What's happening here in the book of 1 Peter is that Peter, the author, as we're coming towards chapter 3, the second half, which we've just read, he's giving us this real contrast. He's saying, this is how the world around you is living. And this is how you are called to live as Christ followers. And so we're going to explore that today. But you might be sitting there thinking, okay, that's cool, John, but can this letter which was written in the first century to early Christians in the Roman Empire, in modern-day Turkey. Can this really be relevant? Can it really apply to the challenges in my world today? Well, here's some of the things that Peter is speaking into. The Roman Empire was obsessed with status and position. There was a misuse of power. If you were in power, you should take what you want because it was your right. There was a neglect for the poor and marginalized. And if you were a Christian, you certainly were the odd one out. You certainly stood out. You might not be being persecuted right now, but you certainly stood out. Living for Christ then as it does now, would have you standing out. There would be more of a contrast than me in my shorts. So while Peter, he doesn't foresee our societal challenges, he is speaking into his own, and that makes it incredibly relevant to us, especially since they are so similar to the ones that we face today. So here we go. Five ways that we can live for Christ in a broken world. Are you ready? Number one, we're going to choose unity. We're going to choose unity. That's how it started off in this passage that we just read. It said, finally, all of you be like-minded. Our world is so divided. The level of division that quickly slips into hatred is really shocking. And it feels like we've lost all ability to have a good, open dialogue about the areas where we disagree. And we've replaced it instead with entrenching ourselves into echo chambers where people talk and think just like we do. And from our echo chamber, we get another grenade and we lob it over the divide. And all we see is more and more hurt and more and more suffering and more and more division. And what is even sadder is that it's not just true of out there in the world. At times, we have been guilty of allowing that to be true of in here, in the church too. Whether it's our theological interpretations, whether it's our political views, whether it's how we felt the church should have responded during this pandemic, we too have been at times guilty of allowing ourselves to become divided from fellow believers. And it's so totally opposed to the heart of Christ for his church. Here is Jesus' prayer for us, his followers, in John 17, verse 20. It says this, I am not asking on behalf of them alone, but also on behalf of those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Church, we've got to choose unity. We have got to choose unity. Can you see how important this is for us? The effectiveness of our mission is at stake here. This is what Jesus is saying in this passage. Let me make it really simple for you. He's saying that rant that you went on on social media. That snide comment that you dropped in behind someone's back at work, that could be the lasting memory that lives in someone's head that convinces them never to step over the foothold of a church because they know just the type of people that go there. When we allow ourselves to step into being divisive and allow division in our lives, we jeopardize our mission. We have got to choose unity. Let me take a moment to talk about politics. How to make any room in the world go slightly tense. It's not wrong to be interested in politics. It's not wrong to have political affiliations. It's not wrong to campaign for policy change. It's not wrong to even feel like you personally better align with one person's or one party's policies than another. None of that is wrong. But here is where we have been guilty at times of falling in the church when it comes to politics we have at times allowed political affiliations to take the place of God. And we have forgotten that we are always united as Christ's followers under the Lord and the leadership of Jesus Christ. We are always united under his leadership. We are always united under Christ's policy. You know what his policy is? It's called the Great Commission, to go into the world and make disciples of all nations. So we must always remember That we are united as Christ's followers under his leadership. So you know what? Whether it ends up being Sunak or Starmer or if you're American, Trump or Biden, we must always remember that the men and women that lead our countries are never the ultimate solution for our world. Only Jesus Christ is. So we can choose unity. Because we've come from a place of saying, first and foremost, I'm under the Lord and the leadership of Jesus Christ, and so are you. And from that place, we will work everything else out in a heart that says, let us stay as one body. Can we do that, church? So we might need to repent. Because we might have allowed ourselves to become divided from a fellow believer. We might have said some things that were not kind and were not necessary, And we might just need to say, God, will you forgive me? Will you help me to realign? And we might even need to go and say some sorries because we've got to make a decision to stay under his Lord and leadership. We've got to choose unity. Here's two thoughts on how we might begin to move from a place of division to choosing unity because our world desperately needs this. They need us as the church who have the revelation of Jesus to model this. Number one. Can I encourage you to stop drinking sewage? I'm a dad of three kids. You come around my house after about 6 o'clock in the evening. You are almost certainly going to hear the following words being declared with relative force in my household. You're probably going to hear the words said to my kids, Kids, will you please stop drinking the bathwater?" I don't know, am I the only parent that seems to have this challenge? Like, all day, it's like, would you take a drink of water? Will you have a sip of juice? Be like, no, no, no. But get in the bath. They want to drink a litre of this pee-infused, lukewarm, scummy liquid. Like my son Ben, my middle son, he's literally just been stood there in the bath going like, Daddy, I'm weeing! And the next minute, he's like drinking a cup full of the stuff. You're like, stop drinking the bath water. It's going to make you sick. As a spiritual father in the house, as a pastor here, could I encourage you to stop drinking sewage? It is going to make you sick. And it is the toxic things that you're allowing to go into your mouth that is causing things that are divisive to spew out. So you might need to take a break from social media. You might need to pause looking at your news apps or stop buying the paper, stop hanging around some divisive people in your life, and instead say, God, help me to realign with your heart. So we're going to stop drinking sewage. Number two, can we stop throwing grenades? This is so easy to do, right, especially online. What we do is we say, we get another dose of my explosive opinions, and I'm going to throw them into you, and I'm just going to walk off and see what happens. Can we stop throwing grenades? And can instead we make a decision that we will be people who listen? I mean, really listen. Not listen so that we can fire back with the right answer, but listen with a heart that's humble to say, I might have something to learn. That says, yeah, I'm going to listen to hear what you have to say. And when we do speak, may we speak with truth. May we speak with grace. Are all of your opinions wrong? No. It's not statistically possible that every opinion you hold is wrong. But, you know, even when we deliver our right opinions with a bad heart, they too are wrong. We have got to choose unity we've got to choose unity we're going to pick up the pace now number two we need to love compassionately it goes on doesn't it it says be sympathetic love one another be compassionate compassionate love requires the ability that we begin to see things from another person's perspective for Christ's followers, love is so important because it's who our Savior is and it's how He has called us to live. This is what it says in John 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Love, as Jesus demonstrates it, is countercultural. It is not normal in our world. You see, Jesus' love is different. The word used there for love in the Greek is agape. This is self-sacrificial love. This love goes way beyond loving on my besties. This is about love that costs us something. This is love that demands something of us. It's about praying for our enemies. It's a love that goes so much further. It's going to cost us something. And in a world where there's selfishness, there's greed, we are called to contrast that with compassionate love. We see it demonstrated in the story of the Good Samaritan, Luke chapter 10. If you're not familiar with it, this is how it goes. There's this guy traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he gets mugged, and he gets left on the side of the road to die. And there's two people who walk past first. There's a priest and a Levite. And what they do is they go to the other side of the road. They don't even go near where this guy is lying. They don't even go to see if he is dead or alive. They just walk past. They're busy. They don't want to get ceremonially unclean. It's going to be a huge cost and delay to them. And so they go to the other side of the road. And here's what I think we do sometimes, church, when we preach that story and when we listen to it as the congregation in church. We find it very easy to step into the place of judgment over the priest... And the Levite. But I wonder where in our life we might be walking away from the very people that Jesus is asking us to run towards. Because it's easy to judge, but there is a different story. There's a, in the same story, there's a third character. And that guy is the good Samaritan. And he does stop. And he does spend some time. And he does take care of the guy. He does love compassionately, but it costs him something. It costs him a delay in his journey. It costs him time. It costs him money because he has to put this guy up. It costs him the willingness to step over centuries of cultural division that has existed between Jews and Samaritans. But because he loves compassionately, he's ready to pay the cost. I wonder, church, are we loving like Jesus? I'd love you as you go away from today and. Maybe you're driving home or maybe you have a moment's quiet later on just to ask God in your heart, God, is there a place in my life where I am running away from the people that you have asked me, the place, the situation that you have asked me to step towards? So this week, you might need to say, yeah, I'm going to start serving with our C3 C3 Impact initiatives across the community, blessing people's lives. You might need to pick up the phone and give someone a call and check in with them, make a meal for someone, bless them with it. You might need to sit at work this week with the person that everybody else mocks and actually take a moment to listen to them and understand your story. But church, we have got to love compassionately. Number three, we have got to be people who stay humble. This is what it says. Be compassionate and humble. We are called to contrast the pride and the arrogance in our world with humility. You know, humility is really rooted in this, that we have a right view of ourselves and others. That we have God's view of us and others. This is what it says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, one of the reasons that we might find it hard to find rest in our souls One of the reasons our world really doesn't have any rest is because of an issue with pride. What does it say in this passage? It says that we can find rest, but first we have to receive the yoke of Christ, which is to be gentle, to have a humble heart. And we will begin to step into a place of rest from a place of pride when we start to embrace that humble, that gentle heart of Christ. We have got to stay humble. We can begin to move from pride to humility by first asking God, God, will you help me to have a right view of myself? God, will you help me to see you, see me the way that you see me? So, that doesn't mean, church, that this week we go through our week with our shoulders hung and our head bowed low and thinking, I am nothing. I am worthless. Nobody loves me. I am nothing to anybody. That is not true. We have already read in the scriptures, in 1 Peter, he says, You are a chosen generation, God's special possession. He calls you son, he calls you daughter. So, I break off the lie of the enemy that's in anybody's life that says, You are nothing that you are unloved, that you will never be anything, because God says you are special, you are chosen. So we don't walk around with our heads hung and our shoulders slumped, but neither do we strut around with our head in the air, obsessed with the number of followers that we have, thinking about that we will be the greatest thing to our world. Instead, we stand up straight And we realize that we are all sinners saved by grace, but that we've all been redeemed, that God has placed His Spirit inside of us, that we are loved, that we are chosen, so we come with a godly confidence to our week. Not with the enemy's lie that we are nothing, not with the enemy's lie that we are more than what we are, but with the godly truth, and that's how we can begin to walk in confidence, but with a humble heart and a humble spirit. We've got to stay humble. Number four. We need to seek peace and pursue it. We've got to be people who bring peace. This is what it says in verse 11. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. The word used here for peace, it does mean a lack of conflict. But it means more than that. It also means a a wholeness, a wellness. What about this week? Into your workplace. If instead of Stirring up conflict, you brought a sense of God's peace, his wholeness, his wellness to your workplace. What about if you brought the peace of God to your school, into your family? You know, the peace of God, it it goes well beyond being someone who doesn't just start conflicts. Oh, I didn't say the first word. It goes into someone who actively pursues bringing peace who's praying, God, will you help me to bring something of your wholeness and your wellness to this place where you have brought me today? It goes to praying for our enemies. It goes to being somebody who says, God, I want to bring something of your restoration and your wholeness. And do you know that you are empowered to do that this week, church, to bring God's peace? But we can only bring the peace of God to our world. When we have known something of the peace of God in our life. And I wonder, you might be struggling to find peace today. Well, I want to remind you that peace is found in proximity. See, peace isn't found in a place, peace isn't found when you buy that new house. Peace isn't found when you move to that new city that you're hoping to get to. Peace isn't found in a place. It's not found in a position either. It's not going to be found when you get that promotion. Getting your degree and getting a first class honors will not bring you peace. Do it, but it will not bring you peace. Because peace isn't found in a place. It is not found in a position, but it is found in a person. Through Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. Peace is found by us getting in proximity. Jesus Christ. I can struggle with peace. Let me be honest with you. I can struggle so much at times to know God's peace. But you know what I have found to be true every time? That the closer I draw to Jesus, the more peace I know in my heart. Because peace is found in proximity to the prince of peace. Let's be people who draw close to God. And having experienced something of his peace, take it out to our world this week. Number four, we're going to bring peace. And finally, number five, we are going to share Jesus. It goes on, doesn't it, right at the end of what we read today in verse 15 to say, But always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this. With gentleness and respect. You know, one of the concerns that I have for my life, and I guess I'd broaden that out and say the life of the church is that we would somehow allow a fear of failure, a fear of standing out, a fear of not being acceptable in the world's eyes, whatever that looks like, a fear of being then excluded to hold us back, to hold me back from sharing the good news and the hope that Jesus Christ has brought into my life with those people that I walk past in the street every day. May that not be true of me. May that not be true of us, church, that we allow something of a fear to hold us back from sharing the life-changing good news of Jesus with our world. Because we have got to be people who share Jesus. I want to encourage you. You might need to do something like this passage suggests to help you feel prepared. Maybe you'll study with the C3 Academy next year. Maybe you'll do some theological studies with WTC. Maybe you need to join a C3 group whether it's people who are going to encourage you and pray for you as you step out in faith. But ultimately, church, I want you all to know that you are fully equipped to share the good news of the gospel. You have everything that you need through the power of the Holy Spirit that is living inside of you. You have everything that you need to share Jesus with your world. The most important thing is our availability. It is a heart that would say, God... I don't know that I have all the answers, but here I am. Will you use me today? Hey, please would you stand in every location? I'm going to bring this message to a close. In every location, if you have a a phone, I'd love to invite you to get it out. Not to check your notifications, but if you've got a torch, I'd love you to find it. I'd like you to turn it on, but quickly then I'd like you to stick your finger over the light. Production team, you can bring the lights right down in this room. Church, our world is dark. There is darkness in our world. People's lives, they sometimes feel dark. They feel overwhelmed. They feel overcome. There is bitterness there is division, there is anger, there is uncertainty, there is famine, there is loss of life in our world. Our world can be dark. But church, I want you to know with a certainty that there is a light that is brighter. There is a light that shines brighter. It is the light of life, Jesus Christ. He is the light of the world. And it says in the scriptures that the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness could not overcome it. Church, I want you to be encouraged. Take a look around you. It's dark in this room right now, but I want you to know that there is a light that lives inside of you, the power, the light of Jesus Christ. I want you to know, church, that you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world to a dark school. You are the light of the world in a dark university. You are the light of the world into a dark workplace. You are God's light into your family. God's light into your street where you walk. God's light into your community. You are the light of the world. This is what it says in Matthew 5 verse 14. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house in the same way let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven i want you to look around because in a moment i'm going to say one two three and you're going to uncover your light. but i don't want you church to underestimate for one moment more i don't want you to step into one more week with your light obscured I don't want you to be somehow shielding or guarding the light of Christ that lives inside of you. Because in a moment when I shout one, two, three, we're going to let our light shine and may that be a spiritual declaration into our world of how we are going to live our life. One, two, three, let there be light. Church, you are the light of Christ into a dark world, into a dark workplace. And we will not hold back the light of Christ for one more minute. We're going to lift it up. We are going to shine it bright. We are going to bring the hope, the life, the good news of Jesus Christ into our world. And many people will glorify his name. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We pray it's been a blessing to you.